Eric. What? For once, we are going to be able to talk She-Ra news on time at the right moment instead of a week late. Why? What happened? Uh, you haven't been on like Twitter or social media. Okay. Uh, She-Ra's getting season two. What's She-Ra? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power for another week. I am Eric. And I'm Lauren. And we have, oh boy, we have a very special guest today. You guys, we've had so many cool guests on this show. We've had educators. We've had philosophers. We've had nutritionists. We've had estheticians and counselors. And we've had Tim Seeley. Um, but today, we have someone who has actually worked on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. That is, This is not a bit. This is not a lie. Uh, we just haven't told you guys about it yet because <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to overpromise. <laughs> we did that at the start of the season and it didn't work out. Um, so now we're underpromising and overdelivering, which I think is better. So please joining us via Skype from from where's your studio? Is it uh, Los In Angeles? Glendale, Glendale, California. Glendale, California. Please, everybody, welcome to the show. Even though you can't clap, that anyone will hear. Please welcome Ray Geiger. Yay! Hi. Thank you guys for having me. And Ray is the the character designer on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. One of several. One of several. So, which characters uh, do you do you consider your own babies? <laughs> if uh, I can put it that way. There are definitely several that I consider my own babies. Um, a lot of them have been a collaborative effort between me and a couple of the other character designers and visual development people. Um, but I have worked on Perfuma, Remista, Seahawk, Entrapta, Frosta, Scorpia, and Hordak. Um, but the majority of those had some visual development from other people like um, Jisoo Kim and Xanthi Buma. Um, the characters that are mo- like wholly mine are Perfuma, Entrapta, and Frosta. Well, that's really exciting because the, the character we most wanted to talk to you about was Entrapta. So that's awesome. When I first got the email, uh, I was kind of persuaded to be on the show because Enchapter specifically was mentioned, and she's my absolute favorite character. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited to talk about Enchapter. So, I want to back up if we can before we get to the episode and uh, talk a little bit just about your career leading up to Shira, if we can, uh, because sure. I think we have a lot of young listeners out there on Twitter who provide a lot of fan art and are really excited about the show. And I think they'd like to hear, as would I, how does one become a character designer? How did you become a character designer? Um, that's interesting that you would mention uh, people doing fan art because that's exactly how I kind of got noticed and got here. Um, I, this is my first real industry job in-house. Um, I had done freelance for another show um, before this just for a month, but... Um, uh, Noelle saw my fan art for another podcast actually, and liked it and gave me a test for the show. And that's, that's the whole of the story. Are you allowed to tell us what podcast that is? <laughs> uh, the Adventure Zone? I I hoped so. <laughs> I hoped so. I was just watching Adventure Zone animatics like today. I, I'm listening I to... You probably saw some of mine. Uh, I'm so <laughs> in love right now. Okay. That's so wild and so so inspiring. Uh, so had you... We always ask all of our guests this. Had you uh, been super familiar with She-Ra? Like, were you a fan of the 80s property or was this kind of a new... Uh, new introduction for you? It was definitely a new introduction. I am just a little too young to have really been there when it was big. Um, 
And so when I first got to test for this job was when I really became aware of it. Um, but after I started working here and becoming more familiar with the characters, naturally I got curious about like the source of it and, you know, doing research for designing. Um, so I started watching episodes and I love it. I love the old show. My desk right now is absolutely covered in the old toys. Um, I'm pretty much always on the, the He-Man wiki looking for um, ideas or just kind of scrubbing through the very weird characters because they have so many just very strange characters that aren't maybe we don't have um, access to use but are just fun and interesting. That is that is fascinating because there's so many characters that are just very toyetic and they existed to have one bizarre appearance in the filmation show to move yeah. some toys. And then be an action figure, yeah. Right, and it's like they're just begging for someone to make a really cool, thoughtful story about them. Uh, so I, I can't wait to see what uh, if if there is a future, uh, what you guys have done with some of the more wild characters from the toy lines. So I think yeah. I have kind of an idea of this timeline, but how long did you and your colleagues have to keep this secret? How long were you sitting on She-Ra with the rest of the world, not even knowing that it was going to happen? I think for me, it was about, well, let's see, when did we get announced? It was December 2017. We know that very intimately because we were about to cancel our podcast. I remember, I heard that episode. I was looking forward to that. I I started listening to you guys um, before our show was announced. So thank you for saving our podcast, basically. We know that was a big part of why you all announced when you did, for sure. Eric and Lauren. Oh, yeah, hearts. Uh, but uh, we—it was probably for me um, about a year before um, we had been announced. I think I was working. Let's see, February maybe, 2017. But um, I know that they had started it. I think two years before that. That's so. that's <laughs> wild. So. Disclaimer is, you know, this is a, a political show as well, and, and uh, we're not going to make you say anything that would, you know, put uh, put your company in hot water. But I, I think it's so interesting that um, there's something very zeitgeisty about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, right? It, but it wasn't planning for so long, like pre-Trump, pre... I mean, maybe the writing was on the wall, but this hadn't hit yet. And you were just, you were right there making a show that like, it turns out in two years, the world would need. Does, did you have any kind of sense of that in the creation or was that just a happy accident? Oh yeah, absolutely. Before um, I had seen anything about the old show, just um, getting the test document, um, looking through it and seeing like the focus on strong female characters and like the excuse me, predominantly female cast. Uh, I knew like this is important. Like this is something that I needed to work on and that the world needed to see. So yeah, I've, I've been excited about it since the very beginning. I guess it's the kind of thing where, you know, had, were we living in the alternate universe where the person who got the most popular votes won the, it would be a reflection of, of that time too, of like a very empowering time for women. Uh, I, not to get too far in the weeds, but I have this, this headcanon theory about Marvel Comics that Marvel did their Captain America Agent of Hydra story assuming that Hillary would win and then when the other side won it all of a sudden looked really bad to have Captain America as a Nazi because it wasn't like a weird what if it was all of a sudden like this is our reality we don't want this in our escapism too and I think you guys like definitely managed to avoid that pitfall and it just it works so well now because it's this like very bright and like un uncynical ray of hope that I think we all need. Yeah, I'm really glad that it kind of fills that spot. 
There was a genre, like, there was a think piece a couple weeks ago, and it was calling uh, The Good Place and She-Ra and a couple other things, like, positivity punk or optimism punk. I don't remember the word, but it is so uh, oddly refreshing to just have TV shows that aren't afraid to show joy and friendship and affection and happiness to people. I'm, I'm so glad that it's here. So let's talk, I guess, No Princess Left Behind. I'll put in my wonderful recap of reading the Netflix slate here. (laughs) With her friends and the sword held prisoner in the Fright Zone, Adora turns to the Princess Alliance for help on a dangerous rescue mission. Okay. (laughs) Edit point. Really well done. Yeah. Totally clean edits. Very good. So this this episode is the... um, Princess Prom is kind of a pivot point in the season we talked about where from from there on it becomes like this mega arc and No Princess Left Behind is uh, much like Princess Prom before it does a great job of juggling tones and being you know funny and light like the show always is but also very serious with like some real stakes and a, a real downer of an ending and it does feature Entrapto which is very perfect. I don't know if you heard our episode where we uh, about her introduction but we had a lot of observations about her design and her hair. So I guess the first question is like, how fun was it to make this character? <laughs> Great. Uh, a ton of fun. She was probably the most fun that I'd had designing a character. She was one of the first ones that um, uh, I got a lot of free reign on. There's just a mountain of this dev work that I did for her because I went all over the place and it was a blast. That's super cool. Yeah, her design is is so wild and the hair is such a fun element. Uh, was that always part of the design that her her hair oh, yeah, would be absolutely. Uh, we wanted to kind stay of a true to um, the what little we saw of the original Entrapta in uh, the filmation the filmation show, um, where she would like pull levers or just do whatever she needed to do with her hair. Um, that was kind of the thing, the first thing that we wanted to base her design around. What were some of the inspirations for this character? Because we talked a lot of anime when Duo was here, and Duo named a bunch of characters in anime with pigtails. I was talking about uh, Washu from Tenchi Muyo, who's a scientist anime character. But it's 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 just a, a common but sort of wonderful, I don't want to say trope, but this the, the like empowered science lady is a favorite type of character? Uh, Not common enough. That's also one of my very favorite character types. Um, When, well, okay. Entrapta was kind of complicated because we had, that we wanted her to have prehensile hair and her sort of um, exuberant personality type uh, where she gets focused on things very easily. We had those things set in stone from the very beginning but her appearance and how we wanted to convey that changed drastically. Like, I think we went through maybe three or four sort of different concepts. Um, We started off with a very Miku Hatsune sort of vibe with her. Um, It's a very anime-inspired sort of high-tech, future-y. I did a lot of concepts with, like, hard light projections like for her mask it was just kind of a a a shield of like magenta um she had like a a frilly clear pvc pink skirt she's very feminine very like long um a lot younger 
just kind of like a bouncy little girl type character. But uh, I think pretty early on, Noelle saw these sketches and was like, no, there's not really, this doesn't really, it's not interesting enough. Like we, we can do better than that. And um, so what she ended up leading me towards was, um, I'm trying to remember some of the characters she gave me. Uh, Audrey Ramirez from uh, Atlantis was one who's the uh, kind of mechanic character. She's in these thick overalls with these big gloves, um, just kind of spunky girl character. Uh, then also, oh, um, Holzman from the Ghostbusters reboot was a very big inspiration. She also has the overalls look. Um, and her, like, circle yellow glasses and her, like, crazy hair. I think she's probably the biggest, like, aesthetic inspiration for Intrapta. Um And it took us a, a couple uh, rounds of sketches to kind of get her to where she is right now. I kept, I was trying to hold on to the um, sort of cutesy anime aesthetic for a while. So um, even after we dropped the Miku Hetsune sort of vibe, I still was thinking, like, Maybe she's a little bit cyber goth, or maybe she's uh, got like a Harajuku street style. I was trying to put um, like stickers on her face and a bunch of clips in her hair, but it ended up being too much. And we just kept paring it down further and further to get to the character that she is now, which is kind of the like exact opposite visually of where we started, where it was a character who was very, very pink, very feminine. And... What she eventually ended up becoming is a character who um, doesn't really care about how she looks at all. Like she has a stain on her shirt. Everything that she's wearing is very utilitarian. Um, she's in, you know, her coveralls and her work boots and her gloves, and that's kind of her whole vibe. She just doesn't. She either doesn't care about how she looks, or maybe doesn't really know, know exactly, or just doesn't have the kind of awareness for it. Well, I love hearing that because I think it's so easy to judge yourself based on am I wearing enough makeup have I done my hair today or to judge others and there are so many female role models in this show that clearly some of them are hyper femme and pink and some of them aren't and it's just not a thing you know however you carry yourself or want to look in your day-to-day life there is a character you can sort of gravitate towards and it's not really a topic of discussion like everyone is accepted for no matter how they care about their personal appearance or not. Uh, sort of speaking to what motivates Entrapta, our last discussion about her led us into some interesting questions. Uh, one is, what do you think in the end motivates Entrapta? Because there's a lot of discussion. Is she good? Is she evil? Does she care about other people? Does she not at all? What do you think is at her core that drives her? I don't know if she's really good or evil. She's driven, I think, by curiosity and um, kind of just trying to get to the bottom of anything. And it's not that she doesn't care about other people. She does. She maybe just doesn't understand them or understand how to reconcile um, what she wants with what might be socially appropriate or polite. We've had several fans reach out to us or just talk to one another that they feel Entrapta represents uh, just being on the spectrum, maybe autism, maybe Asperger's. And some of the things you just described in terms of maybe not necessarily understanding social cues or uh, reading people the way other people can 
was that the intent of this character or is it just sort of a happy circumstance that some people feel represented and seen by Entrapta? Uh, I don't know if that's something that I can really speak to because I didn't write her character, but I think it's absolutely a valid um, observation and it's something I agree with. Like I see her as that. Awesome. I love to hear that. Thank you for the answer. I'm very happy that there's like a little bit of Kate McKinnon in this show. That's super cool. <laughs> I love <laughs> oh, she's the best, right? Like, okay. just she's wildly talented. Um, yeah. I also think it's interesting hearing you talk about Entrapta's design process because clearly, as you say, you took from Filmation her prehensile hair, but that's about it because really the character in the original show <laughs> yeah. is very posh and that didn't uh-huh. really enter into your equations at all. Right? I mean, how would it, right? Like, unless she was like this horde socialite, which I don't think necessarily <laughs> is the most sensible path for someone to take. Yeah, her um, filmation look uh, was sort of, it would have, it, it fit more into um, her earlier iterations when she was very feminine. She had the same, I put, I put her in a, um, a split color skirt, like I think her uh, uh, toy line and illustrations have um, at the start, but like it just, nothing in that outfit fits the character that we ended up with. Like she's very, the, 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 Original design is very, like, it's got the hot, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Thigh-high boots in, like, solid gold, the frilly skirt, the uh, bodice with the, like, flip-up <laughs> collar that I don't understand, um, which is, a, I mean, it's a very powerful look, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really fit the sort of um, vent-crawling, weird goblin woman that Entrapta ended up being. <laughs> We couldn't really, we couldn't really have any crossover. Yeah, there. like I think it's it's great to have some STEM representation in the show, and if, if the cost of that is sacrificing yeah. the very prim and proper uh, Entrapta, who I think was in two <laughs> episodes, uh, probably not the hugest lost in the world. Yeah. There's Castle Brightmoon. Soon you'll see the real powers of my tank. When are we gonna see some action? How about right now? That's not nice, Imp. And as for you, if you don't leave him alone... But he started it! Enough! We've got a battle to win! Uh, Everyone knows, if they listen to this podcast, that I've seen Into the Spider-Verse multiple times, and then the people I took are showing other people Into the Spider-Verse. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. And I was so excited before Ray came on because I saw them tweeting about Olivia Octavius. Uh, (laughs) For just a moment, please tell us, I guess, what you love about Doc Ock, but also how how is she similar to Entrapta? Because I think she is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She is. I've been really like as soon as I came out of the theater before that, even I was like, this is Entrapta. This is alternate universe Entrapta. It's the same character, basically. Plus or minus a little bit of um, evil intent. I think she probably means worse than Entrapta does by a significant amount. Um, but yeah, she's great. She's like a genius. She does whatever she wants. Um, I just love her so much. I have no words. She's just the best. So. She had the best action sequences, I think, in the entire film. And my favorite action sequence in Princesses of Power is in this episode, too, when sort of Mermista and Entrapta take out uh, a horde soldier at the like exact same time. Like Entrapta grabs the feet and Mermista like, blasts oh, yeah. him in the face. 
uh, I legitimately thought about Olivia Octavius, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the tentacles, the hair, it's all there. I'm living for it. Yeah, they're, they're definitely very similar. I think that they would either get along really well or they would be mortal enemies. But either way, uh, definitely a crossover I would like to see. <laughs> Throw in some Holzman in there and we're, we're looking great. Yes. That's, that's the squad You mentioned you also designed Mermista, correct? How did it feel to see your darling in the sewers this episode? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I love to, uh, anytime that Mermista is annoyed about something is where she shines. So I think it was perfect. Put her right in the sewer. I really love that entire sequence. So I am not a big fan of Seahawk. And on the last... Oh, I've heard. I've yeah. heard. And I pretend to not be offended about uh, it. But... Well, what I was going to get around to was that this is my favorite Seahawk episode because my oh, my favorite line in the entire show is in this episode. And it is it belongs to Seahawk. And it's when they're, they're doing the like tactical planning. And Seahawk asks, can I be this miniature painted model of Bo? And it's just so funny. And it's like the timing of it and the circumstances that had to lead to that happening and his delight and joy in his friendship with Bo. I love him in this episode. And so knowing that you designed Seahawk, this is me like admitting I have a soft spot for him. He's not my favorite. But like <laughs> he also mentions um, when he's busted by Scorpia with the, his line of like my inspector children. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> nailing it in this episode. I admit it. My favorite moment so far is actually also in this episode, and uh, it's like the dumbest thing in the world. But when when Kyle is at the cell talking to Bo, and Seahawk comes in and just picks him up and throws him. <laughs> whatever reason every single time i see it even though I've, it's been you know 500 times i still laugh every single time it's so funny yeah i, I love how uh, you mentioned that sometimes you'll just look at like the he-man wiki and we, we uh, read like weird plot points because there was a couple of like on the sly i don't know if they were intentional filmation references but like when Seahawk pretends to be an inspector, there's literally an episode of the original called The Inspector where I believe it's Prince Adam who pretends to be a horde inspector. And I think Trick Scorpia all in the same. So that's a neat, <laughs> neat convergence there. Uh, this And I think there's an episode that we watched, Lauren, where Shadow Weaver tries to like kind of torture Glimmer because their powers are so like at odds with each other. Uh, so this episode is really cool, I think, in the way that it balances like those really funny moments with like a real sense of dread in the fright zone, which I, I very yeah. much appreciated. Speaking of uh, the He-Man wiki, so <laughs> our last episode, we talked about our fans write in theory about Kyle. And <laughs> oh, so no. today, no, today I found myself Googling Kyle because I wanted to look more closely at his face and just think about it a little <laughs> bit. And I found that there was a minor character in the original named Kyle. He was just like a background character in an episode. And I went, I guess it's a pretty common name, but, you know, could be a reference, I guess. Kyle, I think, um, if I remember right, Kyle is named Kyle because that is Bo's quote-unquote real name um, from, I don't even know if it was in the Filmation show or if it was... Uh, some flavor text on a toy or something, but it's 
it's on the He-Man wiki that Bo's real name is Kyle Recula. So that's where <laughs> that name came from. What? We've it's... talked before about how, like, the penchant for giving things real names oh, is yeah, almost like more Lookie. absurd than their fantasy names. Look, I don't remember what it was, but Lookie had one on his toy. Yeah. I need to know what that is. I'm surprised I didn't look it up. But regardless of whether or not Kyle is, is secretly Prince Adam, can, <laughs> l- let's just take a second to igno- acknowledge how amazing Kyle is in this episode. He is... Such a sweetheart. Are we? We're meant to understand he has a little bit of a. Is it a real crush on Bo or like a friend crush? Not to just dis- like. Well, he has a no relationship shade. with that lizard, also. Really? <laughs> In the background, right? Oh, I missed that. It's like it's like a, a big ship of the crew, but it's not something that's really taken seriously by the show because Kyle. I mean, they're they're kind of tertiary characters, especially Kyle, who we love to just put in the background. So, it's. I don't know. It's it's just kind of funny. <laughs> I wouldn't say look forward to it, but it's it is a thing that a lot of us like pay attention to just on the back. Right. Well, I was super into My Little Pony back in the day, and one of my favorite things to do was look for uh, the like background pony relationships. And so I'm just wired this way, like Miss Cheerily and her uh, boyfriend Big Macintosh on My Little Pony. I was like, look, there they are in the background together. So I'm just like this. See, I as a yeah. kid who grew up on Transformers, that's just not there. <laughs> like, there's no relationship for me to find. Bumblebee, get in quick! You all right? Yeah, I think it's my rear axle. Well, hang on to your crankshaft. I'm shifting into overdrive. So, other favorite lines from this episode: uh, Perfuma saying she's really putting a crimp in my harmony. Uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about Perfuma, I guess. What was uh, your process with her and what do you love about her? Um, she was actually my very first like major character assignment when I first started. Um, so she was very scary. Uh, I had no um, previous work for her at all, aside from like one probably like 20 line sketch from Noelle that she just was kind of, kind of like this. And it was just a like a... a woman in a loose blue and caftan with like a bunch of flowers in her hair. Um, and I kind of went from there. Um, she, I think was really inspired by, um, there's a specific photo shoot, uh, that Zoe Kravitz was in, uh, where her hair is bleached completely white. Um, and then she's covered in like flowers and butterflies and stuff. And Noel was kind of sent that to me and was like, like this, like this, just make her like this. And then otherwise I kind of got free reign. Um, but, Honestly, at that point, I was so fresh to the job and not really sure what I was doing that I didn't do much planning ahead. I just kind of was like, okay, I'll, I'll draw whatever you want. And then it, she just came out the way that she came out. So so you're saying that I've been calling her Marsha Brady and that's just not in the design. Dang it. No. <laughs> My beloved interpretation. No, I love Perfuma so much, though. Um, I, I Her vibe is so good and it's... It was so unexpected. Like, I didn't expect there to be hippies in this show. And it, it's such a, a delight. In rewatching this episode myself, I caught a lot of things. But um, what was really resonant with me this time was just the fact that jumping ahead, uh, Shadow Weaver has the power to wipe people's minds. And I hadn't thought about it too thoroughly, but. Now my whole question is, has she done that before and to who else? (laughs) Mm, 
That's a very good question. <laughs> yeah, this was another echo of the uh, original series tonally, like where maybe Adora wasn't just uh, just trained to be a hordesman. Maybe she also was manipulated, but we don't know. Uh, but that scene was like actually scary. Like anytime one of our favorite characters is, is about to like have her mind altered, it, it really makes me anxious. <laughs> well, we do get to see Glimmer be a total badass in that moment. And so whatever anxiety you have is quickly dissipated by her just rocking face. I, I, I also love in this scene, and I mean this in the nicest way, Lorraine Toussaint just like chews those lines to Glimmer about like, Oh, I'm not playing games. Your mother is coming <laughs> and we're swapping her for you. It's just like so awesome. Like, no, oh, she was she's chewing so the scenery good. this entire episode because I had the exact same note when she's talking to Katra at the beginning and Katra saying, I can't believe you get the credit and just the sometimes that's just the way of things. I was like, geez, that line read. I should warn you, princess, any attempt to teleport through these restraints will only cause you pain. <laughs> it seems my black garnet and your powers don't mix. Besides, your mother will be here soon. I know all about you and your mind games, Shadow Weaver. Adora told me, so save it. And by the way, She's not a fan. But I'm not playing games. What I said about Queen Angela is true. She's coming to surrender herself in exchange for your safety. Oh, it's a shame the toll this rebellion has taken on your family. First you lose your father, and now... She-Ra will stop you. There is no She-Ra. We have the sword, not Adora. There will be no one left to stop the Horde. In a few hours, bright moon will fall and Etheria will be ours to rule. We talked about this a little at the top, but how does it feel to be working on this show? And like now that you've seen the fan response and, you know, people have all these wild fan theories and are so engaged. And I'll tell you what makes <laughs> me feel the best in a, in a weird old man way is all the, the memes that younger people have made. <laughs> it's like something that... I don't even really understand, but I think it's so awesome. Uh, I sit on YouTube watching like She-Ra as Vines, just as many people's <laughs> versions of that as I can consume. Yeah, now that that's out in the world, you, you know, how, how does that all feel? <laughs> that's a very broad question. Uh, it's it's very surreal, especially since this is my first, you know, like industry thing. Um, I've never done anything that has been released like this, um, especially that so many people care about and so passionately already. Um, it's definitely strange, like seeing, um, people make these elaborate cosplays of characters that I made. Like, it's just, it's, it's very weird, but very cool. And I also really love the memes. I'm really glad that people like it. It was so, uh, so foreign to me that I don't think I really grasped how big it was going to get at the start, which made it easier to do. By the time that um, I realized how big it was going to be. I think I already had my feet kind of under me and knew what to do. Um, if I had, I don't know, um, gotten on and felt like the expectations were higher, I don't know if I would have done as good a job, if that makes sense. So, yeah, because you're more in your head yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's how I've performed at any job I've ever gotten is like, don't think about how cool it is. Just like do it without the gravity sinking in. Uh, maybe yeah. by the time the gravity hits, you'll be good. 
Yeah, that's that's how we're doing it. We started this conversation talking about how you were initially a fan artist and you were discovered. And, you know, I'm not going to go out there and tell everyone that every fan artist is eventually going to get a job. Just like keep on trucking. Like that's not the world we live in necessarily. But I think it's easy for people to be their own worst critics of the stuff they're putting out there and they don't know if people like it or if it's worth it. Like, what do you want to say to just the she fan artists and the fans in general who are trying to create this art and putting their, their work and their heart into it and, and hope someone cares? Um, I mean, I'm biased. Of course, I want to see fan art of all my delightful kids that I've made. But um, I think that people sort of, underestimate how well um, self-indulgent work uh, appeals to others and also strengthens their own skills. Like um, when I was doing the fan art for the Adventure Zone, I was not doing it for a reason. I was doing it just because it was fun. And I think that that not only helped kind of power me through it where I was drawing every single day and, you know, slowly improving and getting better, um, but also like growing my Twitter following, which eventually made it so um, somebody could see my work and like hire me or start giving me tests. As long as you're doing something that you think is fun with art, somebody else is going to find it fun too. And um, that's like, that's the best way to do it, honestly. Just have fun. Have fun out there, everybody. Hey, have fun. If people wanted to see your Twitter, see your art online outside of Shira. Where can they find you on the internets? Uh, I am Ragey on Twitter and Tumblr. I don't post very much art lately because I'm very busy making other stuff for the show. But um, if there's anything, uh, it's going to be on those two places. And uh, who's your favorite Adventure Zone character? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Lucas Miller. I think I think it's... Uh... Oh, no. What's his name? Oh, yeah. He's your favorite, but you don't know no, his name? The greatest detective, Angus. Angus is the best character. Oh, okay, okay. Ang- Ang- okay, Angus is the real All answer. I was thinking of was wrong world's, world's greatest detective, but I was like, what's that kid's name? Batman. Batman is the best adventure zone character. Uh, <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, wasn't that a wonderful interview? Thank you so much to Ray Geiger for their time. Uh, so this is a day later now. We're recording with the knowledge of, of season two uh, fresh in our minds. And, and Ray is not here on the phone with us. So we thought we should make that clear. But since we had a pop back in the studio anyway, we thought we'd tack on some like current event stuff that has been on our mind that maybe we don't want to subject DreamWorks personnel to. <laughs> Yeah, so for one, related to DreamWorks, they literally couldn't talk about it yesterday, but the new season of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power drops on Netflix on April 26th. So that means more podcast, uh, more political podcast. This is a political show. Uh, and what we wanted to tack on here was just a reminder that at least today, the day we're recording, we are in the middle of the longest government shutdown in American history. And it's 100% uh, the Republicans' fault. Yeah. The amount of, you know, unconditional open the government back up bills that have been presented by the Democrats really speaks volumes. But also so does Donald Trump's uh, parroting about, I own this. I won't blame you. I did it. So it's it's still on him as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that said, though, I'm not I'm not here to be bitter. OK, maybe I am. But I actually personally know 
several people who work for the government. I know someone who is an air traffic controller. I know someone who works for housing and urban development. And their families are really suffering from the lack of paycheck. And so uh, if our listeners would be so kind, just take a moment to look you know, through your social media, your social circle in real life, and see if you know anyone literally financially affected by this. You know, maybe you can donate some money, maybe you can make a grocery run for them, offer some free services like babysitting, nannying, uh, or just if they have a, a side hustle or a business, a podcast that you can promote for them. I mean, do that for your friends. I want to be clear that Lauren's not talking about our podcast. Neither of us are currently unemployed or furloughed by uh, the baby in the White House. No, uh, this is not a government-sponsored podcast. If it was, we'd be doing, I think, a very bad job. The government, Yeah, what a weird government that would be. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm bitter. I feel like I've had a really hard time lately not fighting people on, on Facebook. Let's just talk about this for a second. So my, I used to be very anti-shame, right? Because I'm a, I'm a Catholic school kid and I, I've felt for a long time that shame is the weapon of the enemy. I think public shaming is gross. I think it's really desperate and tacky when people jump on the bandwagon to dunk on someone who made an unfortunate tweet. All that said, the um, Covington Catholic event really has made me reconsider how I view shame in a political context, and uh, I'm for it. Like, I don't think these kids should be doxxed. I don't, I don't ever think anybody's personal information should be released to the point where their lives are in danger. Just full stop. Like, even if they're Nazis, I don't agree with that. But I think these kids should be made to feel like shit. And it blows my mind all the people out there who are like, well, what, but think about the stupid things you did as a kid. Like, yeah, I didn't wear a clan hood. I didn't go to racist rallies. I didn't tell women what to do with their bodies. Like, my friends and I drove through drive-thrus and used funny accents. And I still feel bad about that because we were, <laughs> we were hassling those poor workers who didn't want to deal with our shit. But it wasn't, like, heinously evil. Right. Anyone who says, don't you have something in your past that maybe this reminds you of and you don't want to be taken to task for? No. No, I don't, actually. I will I will say that my big beef with this issue is that it's because these kids are white and because their parents are rich. And run a PR firm. Jesus Christ. So if this had been... And I'm, I'm happy speaking in hypotheticals right now. I'm delighted to speak in hypotheticals because I am 100% positive that if these teens had been black, what we would be doing is going through these videos and going through their pasts. And instead of digging up excuses to defend them, we'd be digging up excuses to call them thugs and to say the police should have been there, more should have happened. And the amount of privilege that's being served up because of white, rich Catholicism it just burns me. It burns me bad. Yeah. I'm really angry this week, and I've, I've blocked more than one person and uh, told someone, fuck off, Nazi. Uh, this was someone who actually was arguing that slavery was good, though, because it was legal. So I, I feel justified in that one. Yeah, that's pretty out of control. Yeah. like I'm I, surprised you had that on your friends list to begin with. Uh, oh, that wasn't a friend. It was a friend of a friend. Okay. It was a work acquaintance of a friend, in fact. Um, Woof. Yeah. No, I haven't blocked any of my friends. Like, I don't th- <laughs> I don't think that people who are defending these teens are bigots. I just think that they are completely wrong and are completely misunderstanding this situation. I was bullied when I was a kid, and I think you were too. 
And I just don't like seeing people gaslight themselves over like sneering and jeering and chanting and hand signals like I know what that kid's face was saying and it wasn't saying anything good. Right. Like people, otherwise rational people bending over backwards to find some middle ground. Guys, you're wearing a MAGA hat. We all know what that means. We know what that kid's face means. Like, come on. Now, I mean, I still have issues with shame. Like, let's take the recent example of, like, Kevin Hart. Like, I don't especially want him hosting the Oscars, and I'm not sad that he's not. But I think that most of the people who jump on a bandwagon like that are people who are trying to score a spot at Zany's. Do you know what I mean? And they see a lame tweet and they're like, oh, I'm going to make a great joke about this and someone's going to retweet me and I'm going to get noticed because that's that's what comedy people are like because I know a lot of those people and it's gross. But it can't be okay to wear MAGA hats in public. It can't be okay to embrace white supremacy publicly. It just can't be. Like, that's my line. Well, even if they weren't wearing the MAGA hat, which they were, and I do draw a huge line there, they were also doing a super racist hand gesture, and they were bussed into a pro-life rally in the first place. I mean, nothing good was happening there, regardless of what they were wearing. I just want to ask people who defend them what they think they're protecting because if they think they're protecting young, innocent minds, these are young, innocent minds who felt empowered enough to go tell women what to do with their bodies. They apparently think they understand motherhood and <laughs> childbirth and the law. So maybe it's okay to treat them exactly how they're asking to be treated. And what I've been saying on Facebook a lot is pointing to other people and saying, well, he started it. That guy approached them or right. they, the other group screamed first. So what? Like, that didn't work when you were a toddler trying not to get in trouble with mommy, and it shouldn't work now. Either unacceptable behavior is unacceptable or it's not. Right. Like, if we bring it back to she I promise somewhere in the Filmation archives there's literally a moral that says, like, he started it is not a fair reason for conflict. So If you get pushed on the playground, don't push back. That just makes it worse. That must be one, right? Today, Bordak was mean to Shadow Weaver, so she tried to get revenge. But as you saw, that didn't work. If someone is mean to you, don't try to get revenge. Instead, try to forgive and forget, because that usually works. Bye now. So, yeah, anyway, I don't know how much of this rant's going to survive to the show, but like <laughs> some of it's gonna it's been a, some of it's gonna it's been an angry week, and i'm I'm glad it was offset by by Ray and the Dreamworks folks. Uh, Seth, none of your your disembodied voice made it to the episode, but thank you too. Seth is the PR coordinator uh, for the Shira team at Dreamworks. We really appreciate you, Seth. Yeah, Seth has been very generous, and I actually was shooting him emails just before this recording session. Uh, it's been awesome hanging out online and working with all of that team. Uh, so we'll be back next week with the Beacon and some cool guests, guest or guests. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We're we can't you know spoil it, but we're hoping to keep this train rolling. Choo choo. Ew. <laughs> Why ew? That's the sound trains make. But you were you were like. Choo-choo. That wasn't like my sexy voice. That was my matter-of-fact voice. We can't use this. We have to do something else. (laughs) No. (laughs) We'll we'll go out on my train sexy voice. You ready? One, two. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. 
You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. Make it somehow